It's great to be with you all this morning. My name is Pastor Jason. I get to serve as the adult ministries pastor here at Friendship. Uh, we are typically in the Shakopee campus, so it is a blessing. Every time uh, me and my family get to join uh, all of you fine people here at the Prior Lake campus. And I especially love the sermon series that we've been in, Work as Worship. We're in week three now of this sermon series. We kicked it off a few weeks ago by looking at God's good design for work. That work existed before the fall. We looked at how God is a worker. We see that in the book of Genesis. And humans are made in the image of God. And so being made in the image of God to reflect his glory. If God is a worker, humans in the work that we do, we also reflect God's glory. But just like everything else in the world, when sin entered the world, work was affected and work was marred. And so work is still good, just like creation is still good, but it's hard. And now instead of working in cooperation with creation, we work in competition with creation. And uh, that's just the effects of sin in a fallen world. That's what we learned a few weeks ago. Last week, Pastor Matt uh, looked into the new you at work, how even though uh, sin has marred work, Jesus, in the work that he's done to bring reconciliation and redemption to the world, has, his blood also covers work itself. And Jesus can redeem the work that we do. And Pastor Matt talked about the new you at work. That was such an encouraging message, a challenging message to hear from Pastor Matt, if you were listening in on uh, last week and tuning in to what he had for us. We're going to continue this series uh, this morning by looking at uh, my boss at work. Interesting that Matt and Kenny decided, yeah, let's give it to Jason. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Kenny is, is my direct supervisor and he's not here, so uh, that's his fault. I get to say whatever I want. <laughs> but I only have 35 minutes. I can make light of that because um, I, I want to start out by saying I have been blessed with uh, the work environments that I have found myself in over the years. The, the health of the leadership, the health of the culture here at Friendship is uh, so strong that I can be up here making jokes about uh, you know, my boss at work and everybody hopefully in the room knows that it's a joke and uh, that it's that it's not real. But I also recognize that when we talk about work, there are many people in this room and a part of our congregation where that's not the case. Uh, we bring a lot of baggage to the conversation about work in a lot of different ways. Some of us don't have bosses that we appreciate or enjoy. Some of us don't have coworkers that we get along with. Some of us come from hostile work environments and increasingly hostile work environments to perhaps a Christian worldview for some of us. We bring a lot of baggage when we talk about work. Some of us grew up thinking uh, work is a necessary evil. We, we bring these things with us. And so I just, I invite you and encourage you this morning. We're, we're going to pray uh, as we enter into what the Lord has for us. But I invite you to, to bring whatever baggage you have with work and lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning because there may be healing, there may be redemption, there may be reconciliation for you as we engage with God's word. So would you pray with me? 
Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to be together every week, week by week, as your people singing songs of praise to you and encouragement to one another. We thank you for the word that you have given us so clear, uh, so clearly revealing your will to us. We pray as, uh, as we come from a lot of different places, a lot of different occupations, a lot of different labor, a lot of different service that we do, we bring a lot of baggage. And so we pray, Jesus, that you would grant us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to, that understand your word this morning and how it may redeem the work that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not a history buff, but I've listened to a few podcasts. <laughs> In one particular podcast that I've listened to, um, this gentleman introduced this idea in, uh, in pre-World War II Japan. There was this concept in the military, I think it was called Gogoku-cho. Uh, don't quote me on that if, if you're able to. Uh, but I, I think that's what it was called. But this concept basically uh, said any, any person in the military, their commitment to the emperor and to the empire transcended and superseded everything else. So you, you may have had a chain of command, you may have had a commanding officer, but if your commanding officer told you to do something that, in your opinion, uh, did not further the emperor, the empire's agenda, it was your duty to not comply. And, and if you thought that there were things uh, that you should be doing to further the agenda of the emperor or the empire, you should be doing those things uh, regardless of who around you or who above you is doing those things. And so you can imagine that there then were individuals and individual units who were essentially acting autonomously, doing whatever they wanted in the name of the empire, in the name of the emperor, and they couldn't be touched because they were doing, they, they had this allegiance that transcended everything else, and it was a part of their culture. The fact that that allegiance existed uh, to someone and something greater than their commanding officer changed the way that they engaged uh, in their work. Maybe you see where this is going, that the fact that we as Christians have an allegiance that transcends and supersedes every other allegiance here on earth uh, to Jesus Christ we may engage in our work differently because of this allegiance that transcends those relationships. In fact, that's the whole point of this morning. Because Jesus is our ultimate boss, the one that we are serving, we can worship through our work. It's the fact that we are serving Christ and nobody else, and Christ, ultimately Christ, that allows us and frees us uh, to worship in the work that we engage in. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that this means people that we're accountable to, uh, bosses that we have, we just shove them to the side and you don't have to listen to them anymore, okay? Is everyone clear on that? Yeah, I'm not saying that. Not giving you a free pass there. In fact, if we're viewing Jesus as our boss and worshiping Jesus uh, through the work that we do, often that, that will... Uh, increase the amount of honor and respect that we pay to those relationships that we have in the work that we do. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. Um, we're going to press into this idea of Jesus being our ultimate boss, the one that we are serving and working for in the work that we do. First, we're going to look in the book of Colossians chapter 3, 
uh, to identify a place in Scripture where we see this truth, that Jesus is the one that we serve. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see that God's word says this. This isn't Jason's idea. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if Jesus was our boss? No, it, it's true. It's from Scripture. We're going to see that first. And then we'll flip around in some other passages of Scripture to see the implications of that truth. But we're going to start with the truth in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 22 to 24. And Paul writes this. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. If you didn't pick up on it yet, you are serving the Lord Christ. So Paul makes it abundantly clear to bond servants that in the work that they are doing and in the service that they engage in, they are serving the Lord. Bond servants were not uh, slaves in the sense that we think of slaves in American slavery. Bond servants also don't really represent the American job market that most of us find ourselves engaging with. There's something in the middle. Bond servants, uh, for some reason or another, couldn't pay their bills or uh, couldn't keep up with uh, loans or money that, that they owed to other people. And so they would sell their labor to masters to uh, earn that back uh, for a, sh a period of time and eventually be free again. Uh, that's how bond servants worked back then. Now, there's some differences between that and the American job market. Probably you can intuit some of those. Bond servants uh, didn't have a choice necessarily in the nature of their labor. For most of us, for the most part, we have an abundance of choice in the American job market for the nature of the labor that we engage in. Bond servants uh, couldn't really, didn't have much leverage to negotiate salary, compensation, benefits, paid time off. Didn't really have that in the workforce in America. We certainly do. Bond servants, uh, they didn't have freedom with how they spent their compensation. Their compensation, all of it went to paying off their bills for the amount of time that they needed to do that, and then they were free. Uh, but while they were working, their, their labor and their compensation all went to one place, and they didn't have choice in where it went. We certainly, uh, for the most part, unless we have other debts to pay, we have freedom with the compensation that we receive to spend it how we want. So if Paul can tell bond servants who have less freedom in uh, the choice of their labor and less freedom in how they spend that and less leverage to uh, get better compensation, if he can tell bond servants, hey, in the work that you're doing, in the labor that you're doing, you are serving the Lord, so continue to serve well and serve them with sincerity of heart, how much more so can he tell us who have more choice in the matter and more freedom in the matter, hey, in the work that you are doing, in the work that you're engaged in, you are serving the Lord. Do we see that? It's not my words. We get this idea that we're serving Christ from Scripture. Well, if Jesus is my boss, there are some implications to that. And I want to continually remind us throughout this morning that when we talk about work and labor, um, yes, it applies uh, vocationally uh, and to the, the jobs that we do and the bosses that we may or may not have, but it also applies to all the service and all the work that we do. If if you are raising kids and the labor that you're doing for that, 
uh, this applies to you. If you are retired and engaging in service uh, in, in various capacities, this applies to you. If you're serving the church in various capacities or your community in various capacities, this applies to the labor and the work that you're doing. Wherever it is you find yourself in the workforce or keeping a home, this applies uh, for the work that we are doing. So there's something for everybody. If you're a student, this applies to the work that you're doing as a student. So there's some implications, though, about uh, if Christ is our boss, uh, the one that we answer to, the one that transcends all these relationships, the first thing we see is that we're protected from idolatry at work. Imagine a road, okay? Hopefully most of you know how to drive straight down it. But imagine this, a road, and on either side there's a ditch. Driving straight down the road is good, God-honoring work, the way it was designed. Falling into one ditch is never a good idea or good thing. The ditch over here, though, is turning work into an idol, becoming a workaholic. Don't want to fall in that ditch. On the other side, there's another ditch, and that is not working enough. Idleness, the idol of comfort or pleasure. Don't want to fall in that ditch either. We want to stay on the road and not fall to idolatry in the midst of our work. And the way that we do that is by viewing Jesus as the one that we are serving. He will protect us from falling into either ditch of idolatry. Uh, this is the first implication of viewing Christ as our boss at work. It's going to take us a while to work through this one. The other three aren't quite as long. So you may, you may be sitting there by the end of this first point going, uh, huh? I know Jason's long-winded, but are we going to finish today? We will. Don't worry. Stick with me. But I think this is the most important one. I think there's something here for us this morning. So we're going to look at that first ditch, the idol of work, uh, workaholism, turning work into an idol. We read in, in many places, uh, Scripture addresses this, but here in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 8 to 10, uh, through Moses, the Lord writes, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Pay attention to who shouldn't do work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. They take this idea of uh, Sabbath very seriously there. Even your livestock shouldn't be doing any work. One of the major aspects of the Sabbath is that it is one of the most tangible ways to regularly remind ourselves that we trust in the Lord as provider and not ourselves. I love that about the Sabbath. Now, the, the Sabbath may have slightly different implications after Christ came because Christ is our rest and he is our Sabbath. But this idea of taking rest from our work and recognizing that God is the provider of all things is still highly important in a Sabbath. Taking a day off from our work and our labor is so valuable for us. We get a weekly rhythm where we're literally putting our money where our mouth is and saying, no, I'm not going to continue to grind. I am going to rest because that's what the Lord has told me to do. And I'm going to use that day of rest to say, God, I could be working. I could be alleviating some stress that I have. I, I, could, be, uh, I could be creating some more security for myself, but I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to trust in you. 
Do you this morning have the humility to go before the Lord and say, uh, yeah, God, if, if I stop spinning all these plates for one day, uh, the world won't come to an end. The sky isn't going to fall down. I feel like sometimes I view my work as if, well, well, if I don't work and if I don't, if I don't do it, if I take a day off, things are going to get really bad. I've made work an idol. Thinking I'm the one that provides everything and not trusting the Lord to provide. This is falling into the ditch of work as an idol, becoming a workaholic. I can take a day off from work and the world around me won't collapse because God's in control, not me. And I'm protected from the temptation to that idolatry when I recognize Christ is the one that I'm serving. Christ, who earlier in Colossians, we are told is the one through whom all creation came to be and the one through whom all creation is held together. That's the one that I serve. So if he tells me, you can take a day off and it's going to be okay, I could take that to the bank. I, I, I think he's got this. So recognizing him as the one that I serve frees me from this temptation. To become a workaholic means I've made an idol of work, sacrificing myself upon the altar of human productivity. Now we may do this for a variety of reasons. I'll point out three. We may make work an idol because we view it as an escape. Maybe work is easier than the other responsibilities and pressures that I have in my life. And so I turn to work because that's easier for me. And I find relief. Work has become an idol because I offer myself to work instead of other places. And I find that relief that I'm looking for. Work may be viewed as my identity that's easy to do in our culture. Maybe my ability to accomplish certain things or make a certain amount of money is what I've wrapped my identity in. Work is a very important part of who I am. God created me to work. But when I make it the most important part of who I am and find my identity in it, I've made work an idol. I've fallen into the ditch. One last way, we've kind of alluded to this already when we brought up the idea of Sabbath, is work is security. Maybe I'm anxious about the future, and so I need to store up more resources now so that I feel better about the future. I, I gotta work now because... I don't know what the future holds, and so i got to store up as much as I can right now. I can't turn it off. We're not trusting the Lord to be provider then. I'm trusting myself. Yes, as we're about to see, that doesn't mean sit on the couch and God's going to send you checks in the mail, okay? That's not how it works. We're going to see the other ditch is idleness, uh, but at the same time, we're called to depend on God to provide, not ourselves. He's the provider. When I immerse myself into work as a means of finding security in my life, I've denied God as the ultimate provider. I made work as an idol. In seminary, I had a scholarship uh, that was really helpful in paying for seminary and getting me through seminary. And there were certain requirements and certain GPAs to be kept to keep this scholarship and so I would sometimes feel the pressure of, well, if I can't keep my GPA up, then I'm going to lose this scholarship. And then if, if I lose a scholarship, then oh, how are we going to pay for seminary? And 
You know, of course, God can't provide in other ways, right? And so that was my thinking. So I was like, also working through, well, I want to take a Sabbath. I want to honor the Lord. Um, I'm working full-time as a student. I was working part-time in ministry and was able to take a full day off from ministry there. But I also wanted to, with my full-time work as a student, take a day off and honor the Lord. So what I did was, um, oh, when I take my Sabbath day, I'm going to do that on Saturday. And here's how I'm going to do it, God. I'm just going to do my schoolwork but not have the pressure. I'm not going to let myself feel the pressure to do a lot of schoolwork. Fortunately, I had a good friend in seminary who said, what? Uh, hey, we're studying the original languages right now. And believe it or not, um, do not work translates from the originals to do not work. It doesn't translate to, oh, just do a little bit less and make sure you take some of the pressure off yourself. You see, I, I wasn't trusting in the Lord. I wasn't seeing Jesus as the one that I was serving. I was seeing myself. I'm the one that's got to keep this going. I'm the one that's going to do it. And so, uh, yeah, here, here's my Sabbath that I can offer to you, Lord. Just a little bit less work. And, and I'm going to feel better because I'll just have a little bit less pressure on myself while I do it. It's so easy to fall into that ditch of workaholism viewing work as security and not trusting the Lord to provide. But seeing Jesus as my boss protects me from this idolatry. The ultimate goal of work isn't an escape or my identity or security. The goal is to honor Jesus. God will provide. It's win-win. I have the joy of working hard in the things that he's given me to do without the pressure of having to be on 24-7. God's the provider. Thank you, Jesus. Now, the other side of the road is the opposite of workaholism. It's idleness. It's, it's the idol of comfort and, and pleasure. That, you know, because of sin, we said this at the beginning, and we heard this a few weeks ago, because of sin, work is hard. I don't know about you, but I don't like hard. I want my life to be easy. If work is hard and I want my life to be easy, then maybe I should just do the bare minimum amount of work to take care of the necessary evil uh, so then my life is as easy as possible. In America, we kind of have both <laughs> of these ditches going at the same time somehow. Uh, workaholism, always on the grind, two, three, four, side jobs, side hustles, while at the same time just doing enough to get you enough stuff so that you can be comfortable. It, we've got the worst of both worlds in our culture. And so we're up against it. I mean, our, our culture is trying to disciple us towards both of these ditches at the same time. We need to see Jesus as the one that we are serving to keep us safely on the road of good, God-honoring work. If Jesus is my boss, I know that he can redeem my work. It may be hard and frustrating, but it's worth it. It's valuable because I'm serving the Lord. I'm not serving my immediate circumstance. I'm not serving myself. God created me to work. And so because I'm serving Jesus, I'm safe from this idol of comfort or pleasure. Recognizing Jesus as the one I am serving, my ultimate boss, protects me from making an idol out of work and protects me from making an idol out of idleness. As the proverb here says, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn and go figure, he will seek 
at harvest and have nothing. Of course he will have nothing. Hey, we made it through the first implication. Like I said, the rest are a breeze, okay? All right? It's a lot quicker, but I, I felt like the Lord just had more for us here because of how often we are tempted to fall into one or both of those ditches. It's because Jesus is my boss at work. I'm protected from idolatry at work. I'm also invited to walk by faith in the work that I do. Hebrews 11.1, 1, a passage uh, many of you may know, in talking about enduring in our faith in Jesus, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. In a world where work is hard, where my immediate circumstances may not show me the value of all the work that I'm doing, it takes faith to believe that work is still good. In a world where I am uh, in competition with creation at every step of the way, it takes faith to believe that work is still good. Because reality is work is hard. I, maybe I need more years of home ownership under my belt. But... Does it seem like, hey, I've got this home project that i got to do. It's going to take me 45 minutes. Six hours later, five trips to Home Depot, and you got the light bulb changed, right? Oh, finally. We're working in competition with creation because of the curse of sin. And God... God subjected, in the book of Romans, God subjected the creation to futility just because he felt like it or because he was angry? No, in the hope that we would feel that effect and recognize our need for him. In some ways, it's a grace that work is hard. Right now, it reminds us of our need for the Lord and it trains us in our faith. Oh, it can be hard. It can be challenging. It can be draining. Our coworkers can be frustrating. Our bosses can have no idea what they're talking about. Friendship Church excluded from that. It can be difficult. It takes faith in the midst of that to say, despite these circumstances, I'm going to trust that Jesus has something for me in this, that he's going to grow my faith through this. He's, he's growing my dependence on him through this. And one day, I will no longer be working in competition with creation. I'll be working in cooperation with creation. I mean, the prophetic uh, tone of what the redeemed world will look like talks about creation working in cooperation with itself. You have the lion laying down with the lamb. There's, there are all of these pictures that can apply to work as well. Of It's not always going to be like this. But for this season of life, until Christ returns, it's actually a grace that it is difficult because it turns us to the Lord and allows us to exercise our faith even in the work and the labor that we do. What about your work this morning? Wherever it is that you find yourself laboring, are you treating it as an opportunity to walk by faith? As you do that work unto the Lord, 
wherever you find yourself, whether it's a difficult season of work for you or a difficult workplace for you, God's not surprised with how you feel about your work. Take it to him. Bring that to Jesus. Say, this is, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I'm at. And then ask him, Jesus, you, you died for this. You sent your Holy Spirit for this to equip me for this moment, for this season. Jesus, let me walk by faith despite these circumstances. Bring it to the Lord. Because Jesus is my boss at work, the one that I'm serving. I can be challenged and stretched and grown in my faith even in my vocational work, as I'm serving a church, as I'm serving a community, as I'm working at home, whatever it is. I can be challenged in my faith when I view Christ as the one I'm serving. Because Jesus is my boss at work, I'm protected from that idolatry at work. I'm invited to walk by faith in my work. I'm motivated by God's love in my work. 1 John 3.16 tells us something about our ultimate boss. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus, the one that we ultimately serve, the one that we ultimately imitate in all the work and all the things that we do, he's got a lay down his life type of love for us. While we were still sinners. How much more so than in the workplace, when we encounter somebody who's just a little bit annoying, should we have a lay down my life love for that person? Their annoyance didn't put me on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. He was still willing to lay his life down, lay himself down. I'm motivated in the work that I do by that type of love. Not by love for self, not by love for my preferences. Like I said, this doesn't have to be vocational work. We, I had a, a family who was at our former church, really good friends of mine. They were there for, uh, before I got there. And some, a few changes were uh, being made at the church. Not bad changes, just some preference things. And um, this, this individual um, didn't like some of those changes. He served on the worship team, and some of the changes happened in the, in the worship ministry. He didn't like those changes. You know what he did? Nothing. He did nothing. Never talked about it. Continued to serve. I knew he didn't like the changes. I asked him one day. There's other really great churches in the area. I mean, I, I work at this church, so I don't know why I'm saying this, but maybe you should go to a different church. You, like, you, you don't like these things. There, there are churches that do these things. He says, well, my family is committed to this local church body. Am I serving myself and my preferences? Yeah, I'd, I'd change churches if I was. I'm serving Jesus. These preference things, who cares? They're not important. What's important is serving the Lord. He viewed serving the Lord as the, the primary thing that he was doing in his service and in his labor, that changed the way that he viewed these inconveniences and these changes in his preferences. He expressed a uh, willing to lay down his life, willing to lay down his preferences for the sake of the other, for the sake of the good of the body. He had good things. He had great things to offer the church body. He continues to have great things to offer with me. I get to chat with him every few weeks. He encourages me so much. Because he, he knew this was true and lived it. Jesus is the one that I'm serving, not myself. If he were motivated by a self-love, he's bouncing from that church and finding a new place to serve.
I'm motivated by God's love in my work when I recognize I'm not serving myself. I'm not even serving my family first and foremost. I'm serving the Lord. What motivates you in the work, in the labor, in the service that you do? Is it a love of self? Is it a love for my preferences? Is it a love for my comfort? Is it money? Is it prestige? Is it a sense of feeling good about yourself? There's a lot of things that can motivate us in the work that we do. And those motivations may change the way that we respond to different situations and change the way that we interact in the work uh, that we do. Or is what motivates you in your work the lay down his life love of Christ? Because when I see Jesus as the one that I'm ultimately serving, that changes my motivation. I'm motivated by God's love and not by love for myself. So that means in conflict, I respond with love, patience, compassion, and an attitude that seeks the good of others above my own. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about this hallway conversations idea. Here's another reason why we wouldn't engage in a hallway conversation type of thing. Uh, because if I'm motivated by looking better at work, or if I'm motivated by, I don't know, wanting to appear, be a people pleaser in front of my coworkers, then y'all have no issue engaging in some light gossip or slander of a boss in the hallway. But when I'm motivated by the lay myself down love for the Lord, man, that, that nixes. There's another reason not to engage in anything like that. It changes the way that I engage in the work that I do. Intention, I respond with an attitude of peace building instead of defiantly digging in. If Jesus is my boss at work, I'm protected from idolatry. I'm invited to walk by faith in the work that I do. I'm motivated by God's love in my work. And I'm encouraged by the eternal significance of my work. We're going to cl close meditating on this idea Pulled from Ephesians 6, verses 7 to 8. Paul highlights this idea by saying, Render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. To be honest, I don't know what rewards in heaven look like. Sorry. Uh, I just don't. But when I read this passage, more so my mind goes to the Great Commission. More so my mind goes to the eternal significance of the work that I can do in making disciples of all nations. Because I know that that is an eternally significant thing. It's baffling how God has designed building the church and sharing the gospel with others. We can do things in the material world with our words that matter and our work that matters, we invest with those material resources and God can bear spiritual fruit that endures forever. I'm encouraged by the eternal significance of my work because when I'm transformed by Jesus and when I'm serving Jesus in the work that I do, 
My work becomes a witness to what Jesus can do, and it aids in my ability to share the gospel and show the love of Christ to a world so that when I use my words to talk about Jesus, my work backs it up and it shows the transformation that can happen. I'm engaging in the Great Commission in the work that I do when I work heartily and show that those who have been transformed by Jesus work in a different way because we're serving somebody else. I don't care what you do for a living unless it's uh, just blatantly sinful I should put that caveat on there. I don't care what you do for a living or what you do for your labor or what you do for your service. It matters. It is eternally significant. Whatever you do. Because God takes those things and uses them to bear eternal fruit. When I view Jesus as the one that I am serving, I'm encouraged by that eternal significance of the work that I engage in. When I don't view him like that, and my actions don't change in the workplace, I'm kind of doing a disservice to the Lord, am I not? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. It hasn't changed the way that I work. I still look just like you. I still talk about the boss just like you do. I'm still working for the weekend just like you are. I don't have a joy that's greater than, than the pleasures of the world. How much can we point to Jesus and glorify him in the work that we do when we change our view? We're no longer serving ourselves. We're no longer serving our bosses. We're serving the Lord. When we view Jesus as our boss at work, we're protected from that idolatry. We're invited to walk in faith. We're motivated by God's love in the work that we do. We're encouraged by the eternal significance that our work has. So this morning, as we do every Sunday morning, we'll have a chance to engage uh, in communion. I don't know. It works hard. We don't always do it really great. And we don't always do it to honor the Lord. Maybe you have felt convicted. Maybe you felt like, oh, man, after Pastor Matt's sermon last week and this sermon this week, I, I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible worker. Don't feel like that. We're about to celebrate Christ's perfect work for us. We're going to celebrate at the table that Christ did this. It doesn't matter what baggage you bring, what sin you bring, what anything you need to repent of this morning. We receive forgiveness from Christ Jesus at the table and he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us and live within us to live in a different way, to engage in work in ways that worship the Lord. We celebrate that this morning. So I'm going to give you a few moments. The uh, worship team is going to come up. We're going we're gonna to sing a song in this uh, time here, but um, for you, just take a few moments to reflect Go before the Lord. If there's anything to confess or anything to repent of, bring that to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness and walk in the newness of life. When you are ready, make your way to one of the communion tables. Grab the elements, bring them back. Continue to worship together. And after this song, I'll come back up and lead us through communion.